You're listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast. The OPP is brought to you by Natural Stacks, makers of 100% natural and open source supplements designed to help you live optimal. For more information on how to build optimal mental and physical performance into your life, go to naturalstacks.com. Oh, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Optimal Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Sean McCormick. I'm a life coach, performance coach, and it is really hard to go about business as usual right now with all of the global upheaval that's happening from COVID-19. Um, at the time that this is released, March 15th, 2020, we are, we are in it. We are in a, a worldwide issue that we're all doing our best to deal with. And um, so I wanted to just not skate over that and just speak my truth. And this is... Um, this is, this, is, this is a little different, but I am excited to bring to you today's guest, who is Kate Shanahan. This is her return to the Optimal Performance Podcast, and this is all about nutrition. Dr. Kate is coming out with a book called The Fat Burn Fix, and this really gets to a really interesting, customized approach to burning fat. Uh, we have fat we can use as energy, and... The book that she's writing and the conversation that we are that we had in this episode is all about figuring out how we can burn fat the best. Because frankly, uh, a lot of us have extra that we want to figure out how we can burn just to live longer, healthier lives. I mean, now more than ever, we should be taking our nutrition and our wellness more seriously than perhaps ever. Uh, so on this episode, we get into customized fat burning protocols. We talk about the fat burn factor. Which is a customized questionnaire. If you go to the if you go to fatburnfix.com, you can figure out where you can get advanced copies of the book and um, take this quiz that will help you determine uh, how you can burn fat the best. So something like when you get hungry, do you get a headache? Um, uh, when you are really active, do you get excessively hot? You know these sorts of questions sort of get into what's going on with you metabolically, where are you breaking down, and how you can overcome these things to be better at burning your fat. You know, again, we're talking about staying alive, longevity. We're talking about how long uh, we can stay healthy. And uh, so we talk about uh, why carnivore or vegan work. <laughs> we talk about fresh food, organ meat, meat on the bone, fermented food as sort of the four pillars. I'll say those again. Fresh food, organ meat, meat on the bone, and fermented food as four key um, dietary approaches to, uh, to stay healthy and to burn fat. Um, we talk about uh, a title of her of a previous book, which is called Deep Nutrition, which gets into sort of the foundations of nutrition and how far back it goes and, and how um, our bodies want different things at different times. So this is a really great conversation. Uh, she's a fascinating person. She's she's comes um, with a lot of experience. You know, she very famously she was on the Joe Rogan experience and she also spent some time working with the Lakers. And, um, you know, she said that they got mad when they told her that the, when, when she suggested that they stop eating candy and feeding the players candy. So uh, pretty interesting. She's a really fascinating person. Um, she's smart and funny, and I really enjoyed our conversation. Before we jump into the episode, I want to share with you something that I've been working on for quite some time and also um, give you an easy and effective tool called the STOP method. The STOP method is a neuro-linguistic programming technique that I have been using on myself and with clients of mine for a very long time that helps you get rid of negative emotions, something we could all use a little bit of help with right now. See, we get excited, we get overwhelmed, we get anxious, 
and um, our decision-making uh, is affected. And so when we can stay level-headed, when we can stay calm in the midst of, of a lot of pressure, um, we need tips and tools. So go to stopmethod.com and watch the free video that I prepared. And uh, if you would like that, if you are interested in techniques like that, you can book a free phone call with me, uh, the Real You Strategy Call, where you can actually figure out uh, who it is that you are and who you want to become in a 30-minute phone call. It can start you on a practical path for calibrating your life going forward. I think a lot of us are, are having having deep thoughts and deep conversations with our loved ones about um, what's next, what comes next. And so I want to help you do that. Um, that's what I do with, with many of my clients that have, that have had major turnarounds in their life, more success, more money, more love, more happiness, more peace in their life. So go to stopmethod.com and learn that technique. And then um, hopefully um, book a call with me because I'd love to connect with a lot of you. A lot of you have, uh, have reached out already and some of you have hired me as your coach and I am so grateful for that. So go to stopmethod.com. And ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, I hope that you enjoy this conversation, which is uh, relevant and to the point for living uh, the best possible life that you can. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Kate Shanahan. You're listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast, and I'm your host, Sean McCormick. It's the OPP. I'm a performance coach, a wellness entrepreneur, a blogger, a speaker, a biohacker, and it's my privilege to bring to you the leading experts in the field of performance. So let's dig right in. And we're here with Dr. Kate Shanahan, the author of Deep Nutrition and The Fat Burn Fix. Dr. Kate, welcome to the Optimal Performance Podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. So I like to start everybody off with the same question, especially people who are talking about nutrition and performance. So if you would please tell us what time is it where you are and what have you put into your body today? <laughs> so it's 3.22 p.m. and I've ha I had the same breakfast that I've had for approaching 20 years maybe now, which is cold brewed coffee with tons of grounds in there. I don't even know, probably a deadly amount of caffeine and uh, about a cup of milk with about a quarter cup of cream, but it's raw. They're both raw and pasture raised products. Ooh. So they're, yeah, quasi legal. Ooh. <laughs> well, that opens the door up for me in a cool way. Um, where do you go? You have to go to the street corner and, uh, and pick up your, your raw milk. How do you get it? So in the state of Florida, it's legal to sell it, uh, but I think it has to be like for pet consumption only or something like that. So um, you just have to have you know very well fed pets. But yes, you can actually go to the like the smaller stores that are not afraid of being an attraction for deep pockets in case any lawyer gets wind of some possibility of suing somebody for, you know, um, anything that could possibly be construed as coming from raw milk, which, um, because raw milk is, is like thought to be unhealthy is often blamed wrongly 
For example, somebody um, had a two-year-old that got really sick and was hospitalized after consuming raw milk. And after the whole thing blew over and the child was fully recovered, um, they found out that he had eaten um, chicken that had been thrown in the garbage before getting sick. (laughs) (laughs) Probably the more likely suspect, since no one um, else that had drunk the same raw milk had any problems and the milk itself had been tested and didn't show the pathogens that the child was infected with. Jeez Louise. Right, crazy. (laughs) We've been... been doing raw milk and raw cheese here in Seattle as well recently uh, we're trying to I mean that's just a better alternative and my my family doesn't really like goat's milk um, so we've been we've been doing the raw milk thing too and it's so it's so weird it's so weird that you have to be sneaky or go to some you know special co-ops to, to find raw milk but um, so anyway that's my own sob story Um, do you, so you said that you've been doing, you've been doing basically just coffee, coffee with raw milk for 20 years. And that assumes that you intermittent fast. When do you, when do you break, when do you break your fast? At dinner, which is anywhere from usually like six to eight. And, and it's just, I'm just totally not even hungry. And, and I I just chose to eat gradually less lunch because I kept noticing that, well, first I was having kind of a normal sized lunch and I'd get sleepy and bloated. And then I had a little smaller lunch and then I was like, why do we even bother with this? It's, I don't need it. And then I get to come home from work or at the end of my day, I just get to have like uh, sort of a, a feast, which I, I like nice. doing because then I fill, I fill myself up and, you know, then I get tired shortly after that. So I can just zonk out. So it all <laughs> seems to work out nicely <laughs> doing it that way. Excellent. Excellent. So you, I mean, you're doing full, full, I guess we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. (laughs) This is, this is great. I love to start this way because it's like, you know, these experts in nutrition, yourself included authors, you know, you know, masters, masters of, of this moving target of nutrition. Um, it's always fascinating to hear how people eat. And, um, do you, have you put any, any supplements, any sort of tinctures or anything else into your body before your, uh, before your OMAD adventure feast at night? I don't really. I mean, I, 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 like afterwards I do have a bunch of vitamins and minerals just because, um, for my calorie like intake that I can get, cause I don't get to do a whole ton of exercise. Um, I'm like, like I'm an average of 1500 calories and there's no way I could get, uh, like optimal amounts of minerals and vitamins that way. So I, ha- I feel I have to supplement. So I do. And that's, it. it's pretty simple. I have a very simple philosophy. Um, and it, you know, it, it's as far as like bells and whistles and everything like that, I, I try my darndest to get everything from food and to convince others that that's a way to go. But of course it isn't always possible for everyone. And I totally understand that. Right. Yeah. Um, can you, let's, let's take a step back. If you would just sort of tell us your, um, your journey as a doctor, as, as a nutrition expert, as an author, just sort of tell us how you came to be, um, you know, the subject matter expert that you are. Right. So I guess I like to think of myself as, you know, where I am now is almost like the expert in burning body fat and, um, and what is a human diet? Um, and of course I had none of that 
I never expected to say that when I graduated from medical school, which was a long time ago, um, in the nineties. And, um, from there to here was really triggered by, um, a love of biochemistry combined with happening to live in Hawaii, which is a melting pot of, it's like the place in the United States that's the least like the United States and the most like the way the world used to be, um, you know, a uh, hundred years ago, or at least that was the case until fairly recently in Hawaii. Cause mo you know, a lot of the Island didn't have electricity until the seventies. So it was a very different lifestyle and people remember a lot of the way they used to be when I was there. And so that combined with, um, a problem that I had with my own health that didn't get better until I understood that my diet was making me sick and what to do about it. And that was like, I had some kind of virus in my knee and I, I couldn't like walk. It was horrible. Um, it took two years, um, out of my life basically where I, I really couldn't do anything exercise wise that I was used to doing. I was an athlete in high school and college and stuff, uh, cross country. So I had, um, I mean the, the down, the upside of that was I had a whole lot of extra time in my day to learn about, um, to apply the biochemistry that I'd learned as a PhD student at Cornell university before going to medical school to practice as a physician and to the changes, um, in our food supply that have occurred over the past century, particularly around fats. It's all really all hinges all around fats and mythology around the saturated fat being bad for you. So that kind of changed that, that began like a spiral of changes that, um, gradually led me to what I do now in both of my practice and my diet. And I don't think I would have been able to do any kind of intermittent fasting or OMAD, um, had I just jumped into it, you know, back 20 years ago when I first started and that's that need for gradualness and meeting people where they are and personalization is the focus of my latest book called the fat burn fix. Yeah. I, I think one of, one of the, one of the questions that I want to talk to you about, want to ask you about is, you know, the, 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 it really is a moving target. Um, and it's not fair to say that, um, OMAD is good. F well, maybe I'll pose it as a question. Is it, is it, everybody's nutrition has to be unique to them, right? It has to be unique to their, um, metabolism, maybe their background. Um, so to say like car OMAD carnivore, uh, or nose to tail carnivore, OMAD nose to tail carnivore may not be, maybe not be right for your neighbor, but it, it is, you know, it's good for you. Um, same with keto, same with paleo. Um, how, how is it that you think about th these sorts of, um, nutritional approaches that seem to be popular, that seem to be generally working? I think carnivore is probably an outlier there, but. How do you how do you think of these sorts of nutritional approaches that that tend to go on the extreme? Well, when they succeed, when and whether it's vegan or carnivore, when they are successful for a given person, it's because they're doing the same things. And what they're doing, and this is just in my experience personally, um, as a physician, I've been practicing for twenty years, so it's you know it's a good amount of experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, uh, is they're getting away from the toxins in the food supply, the things that define junk food, which are the processed sugars and flours and the processed seed oils that I call vegetable oils. Um, 
and 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 so they're getting those out of their lives and they're getting something akin to an element of what I call a human diet or the four pillars of world cuisine stuff I talk about in deep nutrition in my first book um, into their into their life so in the case of how could it be that they're getting you know good stuff into their life when they're doing radically different diets like vegan versus carnivore well um, because the four pillars include fresh food and they include organ meats and meat on the bone. So that's um, that's three of the four pillars. And the, the fourth can be common, you can do it on either a vegan or a carnivore diet, which is fermented food. Um, so, um, so that's how. So, but of course my view is that why stop at just one or two of these four pillars of the human diet, why not just go in, get all four? So if someone is, uh, you know, carnivore, I mean, I think that's great. It works very well actually as a simplistic elimination diet. So if a busy doctor, um, uh, there's an orthopedist on the West coast whose name you probably know, but escapes me right now. Um, he's been recommending the carnivore diet just kind of like as a shortcut to, you know, because he sees people for five minutes, if he's lucky, um, to say, hey, you know, um, why don't you lose some weight before you get your knees replaced because you'll recover better. And he just started using the, the recommending the carnivore diet because it was just so sim simple and it worked so well as an elimination diet to get the all the seed oils out and um, the uh, obviously the, the refined carbohydrates out. And people came back and even had they lost zero weight, they started experiencing joint, less joint pain because of the redu reduced inflammation, right? And the same with like some of these radical vegan diets that are like all, you know, raw vegan and stuff like that. Well, at least those folks are getting um, tons of variety in their diet in terms of vegetables usually, right? They're not usually doing vegan mashed potatoes, right? Because that's um, <laughs> that's not really what you see most of the vegans promoting. They do a wide variety of vegetables, lots of spices and herbs and stuff like that. And, you know, occasionally they'll, um, they'll add some fermented foods into it. So those are great elements. But the most important thing that they're doing, I think, is getting rid of the, the, the refined vegetable oils and, you know, the, the carbs, reducing the carbs and eliminating the refined stuff. Yeah, simplifying simplifying in a way that's that's anti-inflammatory or at least it's not pro-inflammatory by yeah, by doing the elimination. You know, I I've uh, we've had uh, you know Dr. Sean Baker and Dr. Paul Saladino yeah. um, come on to talk about you know carnivore. Um, it's it's just it's re it's really fascinating and you know what I have now they're talking now and, and Dr. Paul Saladino talks a lot about like, Hey, veggies might be bad for you guys. Like there are some people, there's a small subsection of the population that, that, uh, that really shouldn't eat any vegetables at all. And for many of us, they're problematic. Uh, they're, you know, they're, you're consuming these oxalates. They're pro-inflammatory. You know, when he said, uh, don't, Nobody should be eating spinach. I showed it to my wife, and she's like, "What? What is he saying? Did he just say nobody should be eating spinach? <laughs> like, like that sort of that that sort of like that is really paradigm shifting." What's your thought on what's your thought on raw spinach, Doctor Kate? Um, I I. I... I think it's kind of crazy to make a sweeping statement like that. Nobody <laughs> should be eating spinach. I mean, come on. How do you know that? What are you, God? I just, uh, no, I can't go there. And I mean, I, I, 
<laughs> I, I understand the rationale. I, I know that there are definitely people out there who can't digest certain things. And I've met people and respect people who are actually practicing physicians who, who are like, I had to cut out every last shred of a plant product and I don't love it, but, uh, but that's what I'm doing because otherwise I have intolerable digestive discomfort. And if that's where you are, then that's a whole different story, but let's not go try to pretend that everyone needs to do that. Let's, that's like saying, you know, I had the worst allergy I was sneezing. I had asthma. And then I got my 10 cats out of my house and I'm better. Nobody should ever have a cat for a pet. Right. Cats are evil. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, you're right. That's 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 an excellent example. Yeah, I think you're I think you're you're spot on there. Um Yeah, I I have a I have another question. I have lots of questions for you apparently, of course. Um what have you changed your mind about in the last year when it comes to nutrition? Oh, that's a really good question. So I think, um, let's see, was I, what can I say that I was like, oh my gosh, I wish I didn't say that ever. Um, <laughs> I, 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 uh, I must've, must've been something. Oh, oh, here's what I learned. Okay. Um, it was that, um, a nice way to talk about, what really causes heart attacks is that um, it's fat building up in our arteries, not cholesterol. So I, I think t for me, um, I had struggled when I was writing my first book, Deep Nutrition, to kind of figure out what was going on with LDL. Did LDL, the so-called bad cholesterol that every doctor measures when you get your cholesterol particles, or I'm sorry, not particles, when you get your cholesterol panel done, um, they, they, most doctors look at your LDL, they call it bad cholesterol. They don't want you to have too much. And, and I was kind of struggling with that when I wrote deep nutrition, I was like, well, I think the number is maybe too low that we use as a, a target of like a hundred or 130. That's maybe too low. Really? That's probably not right. But I didn't really have the whole picture, um, in my head the way I, I do now. And, um, I, uh, it's a lot simpler than, uh, then I used to make it right. I used to talk about, well, you have to look at your LDL to HDL ratio and particle sizes is no, really what matters is, um, what are your triglycerides and what is your HDL and, um, forget about the other numbers as far as predicting your heart disease risk. Um, so it's, so it's much simpler because we've talked about heart attacks and, um, heart disease and arterial disease, um, you know, the plaques that build up in there, we've made it more complicated. We've used words like arteriosclerosis. What's that? We've used words like arterial plaque. Okay, plaque, that sounds bad. What the heck is it? It's a lot simpler than that. Fat builds up in our arteries and it's, it's not, um, the, the, uh, the, late stage of the process that causes problems. It's the early stage of the process that causes problems. And, um, you, you can't easily say that some, when someone's going to have a heart attack, but you can easily say if they're at any risk of having a heart attack based on just one number, which is your triglyceride to HDL ratio. And so that's, that's what I, um, am very glad that I, was able to kind of come to better grips with that because in this space, as, as I'm sure, you know, people 
start adding more fat in their diet and their cholesterol numbers go up and they get freaked out and their doctors get freaked out. And what do we do with that? So now I have an answer. Yeah. Yeah. When you say, um, one thing that stood out to me, you said something about early stage. What, What do you mean by early stage? So fat builds up in our arteries and it's, it initiates a sequence of events, right? So, um, like it's the, the, the process of fat landing on your arteries, the body knows that's not cool. And when the fat is composed of these inflammatory vegetable oils, it actually causes injury to the arteries and they need to go through a healing process. So it's kind of like if you scab your knee or skin, you know, you get a, like a, an abrasion on your skin, right? Um, your skin, that whole large area of your skin is all starts out being, um, pink, then it gets red, then it starts bleeding. And then it goes through a series of phases that include a scab at the end. And then the scab falls off and you're back where you started. Uh, a similar analogous thing happens inside your arteries when you have these pro-inflammatory fats landing on the walls of your arteries as they do, um, it's, it starts off a sequence of events where the body tries to get that, it's killing the cells that it lands on. So there's white blood cells that attract, that are attracted to the area and, um, they can't always handle the amount of fat that gets deposited. So what has to happen is the body's trying and trying to absorb this fat and get rid of it. But depending on your diet, there's more and more being deposited all the time and the, the buildup gets thicker. The only thing the body can do at some point then is try to stabilize it just like a scar. And so it puts cholesterol in there. It it puts um, calcium Mm -hmm. in there and it, it makes it from something soft like butter, very much like butter and very, very unstable and very irritating to the arteries to something much harder, very much like cock that will use to seal off, you know, between the, the space between the tub and the, the wall, right? So that water doesn't get in there. It's very similar reason that our bodies need to do that too. We just want to kind of seal off an area of the artery that's not in our body's estimation going to function again properly, but at least we're going to keep it from creating a, um, tear in the artery, which leads to a blood clot, which leads to these rapidly fatal heart attacks that few people have anymore proportionally. Most people have a totally different kind of heart attack that has to do with that soft buttery fat in their arteries moving from one place to another and causing a blockage in the blood flow downstream from there versus what the kind of heart attacks that cigarette smoking causes has to do with the arterial wall being inflamed and weakened and actually bleeding into the artery, causing a clot in the artery. Those are the kind of heart attacks that kill people um, fast. Like, you know, like you're done with it. You clutch your chest, knees to the ground, and that's it for you. Mm-hmm. Um, if if you're lucky enough to survive the first few minutes of that, you might be dr- taken to the hospital where they give you a clot-busting drug, not a fat-busting blo- drug. And, and this, so these differences in the types of heart attacks that people have based on what exactly was happening in their arteries is something that is absent from this discussion. And that absence is just leading to just confusion on all parts. Even, you know, of course, the most 
most your standard cardiologists don't know anything about healthy fats. They do know about this progression of plaque, but they don't understand that it's not the cholesterol that's causing the problem. The cholesterol is there in hopes of the body stabilizing and stiffening the, the fat that was the initial um, insult in the artery. Do you think that that's, that's such a great explanation of that process from butter to caulk? I mean, that, I've never thought of it in that way and used the sort of external scabbing over hardening scarring of, of the outside of your skin. I mean, it makes sense that the same thing is happening in your arteries that they're trying to like harden and uh, repair, you know, damaged, damaged tissue when in accumulation of, of, um, you know, like debris inside your artery. That's really cool. I've never really right. thought about that way. Yeah. So Sean, I actually shouldn't have used the word buttery. I should have said greasy because I don't want people to get the idea that it's butter that's doing this or that's the primary cause. It's it's grease from what the, the garbage is that's in the deep fryers, the garbage is that's in your chips, those vegetable oils that are in most mayonnaise, you know, th those vegetable oils are grease and they're a thick kind of um, nasty fat that is nothing that nature wants you to be eating. And that's the kind of stuff that ends up in your arteries. And when people, I I even am, you know, I use that term, because, not because I, I made it up myself, but actually um, the interventional cardiologists that go in and um, put the, uh, that, that do the bypasses and put stents in people's arteries, they use that term like soft plaque or buttery plaque. Because mm -hmm. of course in their minds, they were thinking if it's all butter. But if if they knew what they were talking about, they never would have said that. They would have said greasy plaque because that's really what it is. It's like, you know, that thick buildup of grease. If you've ever looked at the the bearings on the side of your garage door or, you know, that like black stuff, that's really what this stuff I want people to, to picture at when their their arteries first start get damaged. It's, it's not nice, pretty butter. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because we don't want to. Again, we don't want to. We don't want to demonize butter. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Exactly. We, we don't want to make butter the bad guy. Do Do you think, or or bad girl? Do you think that there is a shift happening? You know, you talked about, uh, you know, sort of standard of care, uh, Western medical doctors um, getting freaked out by by high cholesterol numbers, uh, and it's become. It's become clear and clear to me that a, there, there really is a real lack of, of practical nutritional awareness from, by, a lot of, by a lot of doctors. Um, is, it, is it safe to say that most doctors don't know what they're talking about when it comes to nutrition? And if so, do you think that there is a shift happening at all mm -hmm. in, in, that, uh, in that reality? Oh yes, it's it's dangerous to actually. Not only is it safe to say that most doctors don't know what they're talking about, it's safe to say that most doctors know enough to be only enough to be dangerous, and mm. because what they know is wrong. Um, like what I learned in medical school is no different than what I learned when I was eight and I read the back of the Cheerios box, which said Cheerios were healthy because they were low low in salt, low in fat, and low in cholesterol, mm. and that's pretty much everything that doctors learn. And by the way, it's pretty much what dietitians, you know, learn, right? They, they learn a lot more in terms of uh, more complicated diseases and treating people in the hospital with, you know, IV nutrition and stuff like that. But in terms of just food, 
there's not much more to what they learn than, okay, avoid salt. Salt raises your blood pressure, which in reality is not true. Um, and, uh, you know, we can, you can invite uh, James D. D. Nicolantonio's name I can never pronounce, but he wrote the book called The Salt Fix. If you haven't already had him on your show, he can talk about that. Um, cool. And uh, we also, you know, learn that fat makes you fat and um, cholesterol clogs your arteries. But th those things are just not true. And it's very hard to go from a place of, you're told that you're, you know, you're paying a lot for your medical education and it's hard to believe that it could be just dead wrong. But you asked about a shift, a shift, there's definitely a shift because I think a lot of the younger generations now going into medical school and even into college are exposed to at least the idea of fake news, right? So... Mm. <laughs> And, and there are, you know, now with the web and especially now with the popularity of the keto diet, it's hard not to come across the idea that, wait a second, we, not, butter never was bad for us. Um, and we've, the fact that we've been saying it was, is, is a really dangerous idea. And in fact, there's been people who I've spoken to that are in their twenties, um, and they're like, are you kidding me? People still think that butter's bad for you. So <laughs> there's definitely a shift in the like the younger generation, thank goodness. And I, it's leaking into medical practice, but it's like glacially slow. So, but I mean, I was shocked the uh, a couple weeks ago. One of my patients here, where I work now um, in Florida, uh, said that his doctor recommended the paleo diet to him like a couple of months prior there. And I was like, wow, that's great. And he said also to stay away from the vegetable oils. Right. So I was amazed. And it, the, oh, and this, I should mention, this was a cardiologist who are the people who benefit the most from hmm. the wrong advice we've been giving. Yeah. Right. That's scary. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's nefarious. Do you, do you think that, can you give us an example? Cause I, I, when I'm thinking about people, and how they see their doctors, you know, you're, you either have some, some metabolic issue or some adrenal issue or some just health issue and you have 10 minutes with your doctor and um, maybe they ask you what you're eating, maybe they're not, but so that people can be empowered and know what to look for when they go and see their doctor for any one thing, if they're unhealthy or dealing with something, what are some common things that a doctor might say to someone about nutrition that actually is harmful, that actually they actually do know enough to be, to be harmful? Like what, what's an example of, of something that a doctor would tell somebody that, that, uh, that you think that people should watch out for? Well, after getting a physical, most doctors will include cholesterol numbers, you know, cholesterol test in the physical, and they would say, oh, uh, your LDL is high. I think you need to eat less butter, less cheese, less eggs. Um, and, you know, instead of that, I might want you to have a low cholesterol spread called smart balance or something like that, or even at worse, to take a cholesterol lowering drug like a statin. Mm. And. Yeah, I mean, this is there's some people who are so rabidly pro statin that they'll tell pregnant women that you know they might want to consider getting on uh, getting their cholesterol numbers down, and 
that is insanity because um, statins are actually like known to cause birth defects. Hmm. Um, and I, maybe I, I might have misspoken there because I might be exaggerating a tiny bit. I know they are telling now women of, of childbearing age that if you have a statin when you first conceive, it's probably not a problem. I don't think they're actually telling them to continue it during pregnancy. But in those first weeks of your pregnancy, before you know you are pregnant, is when you have the most important work being done in terms of setting a child set, setting a child up for birth defects or not. And um, and statins are known to cause birth defects because they because cholesterol is a basic ingredient in every single cell. And if you're impairing the body's ability to make cholesterol, you're impairing the body's ability to divide, for cells to divide. And that's just, that's just radically irresponsible. Can you, for those of, uh, of us that are not familiar with what a statin is or what they're supposed to do, can you sort of, because this is, this is a controversial subject because I have several mem uh, family members that are on statins. And when I bring it up, I, I know, <laughs> I know just enough to say, Hey, those might not be so good for you. And then I just send them a bunch of links. Um, but I think many of us, many, many of us know people who are on statins. Can you can you tell us a little bit about what statins are, what they're supposed to be doing, and why they're dangerous? Sure. Statins are, uh, they're like uh, drugs called like atorvastatin, which is Lipitor, Simvastatin, which is Zocor. Um, it's just like the nickname that doctors have given. It doesn't refer to really anything other than the nickname. Um, for cholesterol-lowering drugs, um, that are the most common cholesterol-lowering drugs. There's a couple others, but these are the most common. And uh, doctors uh, give these drugs to people who have elevations of their LDL cholesterol, which is the so-called bad cholesterol. LDL stands for low-density lipoprotein. And um, when you're low density lipoprotein number is high, uh, higher than, you know, there's a number on the lab when you get your lab results that your doctor looks at and may share with you. There's usually a flag if that number is over like a hundred or 130, depending on what lab you're going to, because there's not a lot of agreement on this because it's kind of like a made up thing and it's moved down ever since I've been practicing. It started out at 200. Um, uh -huh. but 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 so if that number that LDL number is high, um, the doctors want want it to go down because we're programmed to believe that that high number is going to cause a heart attack, and that's why I say that I kind of struggled with this for a couple of years to come up with a, a way of really understanding the problem myself, so that I knew for sure that I was um, you know how to advise my patients and that even if their LDL number was ridiculously high, like 200, um, or even higher, like 240, say, I could look at their numbers and talk to them about whether or not they were at risk and whether or not they really needed one of those statins. But the statins, the cholesterol-lowering drugs, they lower your cholesterol by poisoning your body's ability to manufacture um, a molecule that your body needs to make to later on turn into cholesterol. And they poison this ability in a variety of tissues in your body, depending on the drug and depending on your genetics, because some people can bypass this poisoning or this blockage that the drugs create. Some people's tissues can bypass it. 
um, but but most people can't bypass it in every single tissue. So um, many people have different varying different side effects. Like you can get skin problems, you can get uh, muscle problems, you can get memory problems, you can get heart rate rate problems, um, you can get liver problems, um, you can even get kidney problems. It's just like, and there's no end to the problems that these things can create. Um, and there's very little good that they can do. But there, regardless of all that, there are a few people who I, even I would say should take them. Um, so don't, you know, necessarily yeah. stop them tomorrow. Um, but those people are pretty easy to identify. There are people who've already had a heart attack who smoke and who are unwilling to get the seed oils out of their diet and get the sugar, you know, get their sugar counts under control. Those are the people who might benefit from a statin. Oh, interesting. Interesting. That's like highest risk at most, most, uh, uh, stubborn to make, you know, actual nutritional changes. The people like, like maybe like most highest at risk kind of a thing. Yes, exactly. The, so the, the, that what they're doing is they, they're, they're subjecting their arteries to more and more inflammation from the fact that they are both smoking and continuing to consume the seed oils. And, um, you know, in that setting, then, well, we don't really have anything else to offer you uh, other than trying to poison your body. So at least less less of those toxic vegetable oils end up in your arteries, but, um, make no mistake. You are poisoning your body. Yeah. When, I, um, there's a, there's some other stuff that I want to, I want to rewind kind of back a little bit and, and ask you about some of the concepts from, from your previous books, because, um, I'm curious what deep nutrition means. I'm, um, huh? I, I, the the concept of deep nutrition and also the concept of traditional food as a subtitle. Can you tell us a little bit about what you mean by that and, 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 and why this is important for people to sort of like, cause I think of this as like baseline. You should know this stuff. If you want to lose fat, if you want to live a healthier lifestyle, you should know this stuff. Like um, if you, if you could sort of walk us through that a little bit. So we, we borrowed the term deep and stuck it in front of nutrition because there's a term in ecology called deep ecology. So ecology is the study of how um, different animals and plants relate to each other in an ecosystem. And um, deep ecology acknowledges that humans are a part of that system and not necessarily a beneficial part, um, but it's it's like, it's not all there for us, right? It's not all like people are just another aspect of, of the ecosystem. We're not somehow separate or special. Um, and, and deep nutrition really refers to the fact that our bodies are just a vessel for a temporary manifestation of our DNA. Um, we're just like, our species, like the representation of our species at the very moment, but we are who we are because of all the people who had our DNA before us. And that, that whether they lived or died depended so much on nutrition. Um, and so that's what the, the human the deep nutrition like argues is that we are who we are 
now you are who you are now because of what your grandparents and all your ancestors ate. And that's why it's so, and our genes can change depending on what we do in our lifetimes. And thank goodness there wasn't vegetable oil 300 years ago um, because, and, and that was only a hundred years ago because we might not be here now. I don't know how many more generations we have if we keep consuming vegetable oil because we have rapidly increasing rates of infertility um, and difficult births, difficult uh, difficult early life, right? Children now are growing up with uh, way more brain disorders and immune system disorders, making them intolerant to long lists of foods. It's not because of, um, you know, trace amounts of um, bad chemicals in the food supply that have just been introduced recently. This goes, I mean, they're not helping the situation, but it's because we've gotten so far from consuming a, a healthy, balanced human diet with all four pillars that generation after generation, our genes have been programmed differently and they've been trying to survive in this very difficult environment. And one way that they do it is they, they, um, they make children smaller, or their bones are smaller and their heads are smaller, their brains are smaller and, um, they are not as able to build lean tissue. So they build more body fat. This is all like supported by, uh, these are sound like wild sci-fi sounding claims, right? But this is what we talk about in deep nutrition and in deep nutrition, which we wrote 2008, we predicted that there would be more and more sicknesses in children and, uh, including, you know, things like autism and food allergies and lo and behold, that's happening. Whoa. And, and, and because it's a sort of epigenetic response to poor nutrition. Exactly. So epigenetics is the word for that, uh, that I use as other people use it differently, but for the interaction between your nutrition and your genes and how that translates, um, in your lifetime and then across, uh, generations. Man, oh man. Yeah. That's the, I mean that's a that's a bummer thing to to get right to to make that to uh, yeah right like what I have Absolutely. man what else did you predict that you got right from that book that we should be scared that we should know you know uh, well I mean unfortunately that uh you know more and more doctors that doctors would be the last ones to really get on board with uh kind of the overhaul of the nutrition advice. But, um, you know, that those people who, on the positive note, those people who do pay attention and did jump on board and have always been on board, they will be doing really well. Um, and and so, um, you know, it's it's gratifying to, to hear from my patients now that um, when that when I find people who are kind of remarkably healthy and who are in their 60s and 70s and have managed not to be on any medicines, um, it's almost invariably now that they grew up on a farm or, or that their their one of their parents was a, a chef, you know, and they just really ate really well. Interesting. That's really interesting. Yeah, I mean that's that's how I try, man. I mean, um the sort of fundamentals of of nutrition um to eat 
whole foods, to not eat processed foods, to, you know, um, not overeat, not eat too late. Uh, that sounds, you know, that sounds like, um, living close to the earth kind of on a farm, you know, like what, <laughs> right. com- what comes out of the garden, what comes out of the barn, you eat, you, you, you know, you're outside all day working in the ground, working with your hands, working hard. You, you have a, you know, maybe you have three meals, maybe you just have, maybe you just have two and you eat before the sun goes down and then then when the sun goes down you go down too and that's and 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 that's the key to longevity right exactly and i mean that almost sounds like a quaint esoteric lifestyle right now but a lot of people don't know that at the turn of the last century the 1900 i'm sorry the 1800s to the 1900s uh 50% of the united states 50% of families were involved with farming. We're we're farmers. And now it's less than 2%. And the bulk of those farms are nothing like the, you know, your typical small family farm that you imagine, you know, in a storybook or Little House on the Prairie or whatever. It's monoculture mega farms that, that don't do anything with dairy they're just all about corn soy wheat you know one thing they just do one thing and they don't have any they don't do anything for the soil they just it's really very different and so um you know that's kind of the solution to all of our problems is um remembering that health comes from the earth it doesn't come from good luck or outer space or technology um and you know if we can Remember that before it's too late, there might be some hope for some, you know, real major turnarounds, but we need to remember it very quickly as a yeah, site. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> Running right. out of time. <laughs> yeah. Do you, uh, I want to, I want to change, change speeds a little bit, um, because I know that you're, by the time this will be released before the book comes out, um, that's for sure. So, um, I'd love to hear about your sort of targeted way to help people determine their own optimal nutritional approach. Tell us about the, the, the concepts in the new book and also about the, uh, the, the website where you can, you can take the questionnaire. Right. So the new book is called the fat burn fix and the website is fatburnfix.com. And, uh, what you can do there that is essential for your own health and determining where, you know, like how to personalize your diet is take a questionnaire. It's a 16 question questionnaire that I call the that will determine something that I call the fat burn factor, your fat burn factor. Um, in other words, uh, how well you can burn your own body fat, because it turns out that being able to burn your body fat optimally is the key to longevity. It's the key to success with any diet, whether it's a keto diet, a carnivore diet or, or a vegan diet, even, um, 
you know, if you are able to burn your body fat optimally, then you're going to do the best possible with whatever diet you're on. But if you can't burn your body fat optimally, then you're actually on track to get not just diabetes, but all the complications of diabetes, which we're now understanding are hugely broad. And I, when I say diabetes, I need to clarify, I'm not talking about type one, I'm talking about type two diabetes, the, 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 the weight related diabetes. Um, and the complications are, you know, massive. It's basically every chronic disease, including not just uh, your standard, what we thought were complications like kidney failure and um, infections and amputations and heart attacks and strokes, but also Alzheimer's and cancer, um, thin bones and um, autoimmune diseases. So those are all related to losing the ability to burn your body fat. So that's why I uh, say that the ability to burn your own body fat for energy is the most important thing you need to know about your health. That's what we're really talking about when we talk about a healthy metabolism, because the job of the metabolism is um, to to the way I define it anyway, um, is to provide your cells, every single cell with enough energy to do its job correctly. And it, it is supposed to be that our body fat is the source of that energy ultimately um, so that we don't have to eat frequent small meals or have snacks all the time or get hangry, you know, if we don't, if we go too long between feedings. Um, and, and when our body fat starts to fail, there's certain signs that pop up. And so that's what I teach you to assess with the fat burn factor questionnaire. Can you give us an idea of a couple of the questions that we can expect from the questionnaire? Yeah, so one of them is um, when you're active, um, do you get excessively hot? Um, because believe it or not, one of the things that happens if your body fat is really um, not functional, so this is all really an assessment of you know your 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 body fat, how much, how what what kind of fat is in your body fat? Because if you've got toxic fat in your body fat then your body doesn't want to burn it. So the more that you have, the farther you've gone down this unhealthy path. Um, and when you have a lot of it, um, whenever your body tries to burn it, instead of producing energy, um, you actually produce heat. It's like a really bad engine in, in a car that like when you first bought the car, maybe you got 37 miles per gallon, but now it's like maybe 29 miles per gallon and it tends to overheat. That's exactly what happens when your body fat is full of the wrong kind of fat, the toxic stuff from eating all these vegetable oils. Um, that's exactly analogous to what happens. So you, so you get hot. So that's one of the questions. And another one um, that maybe more people can relate to is, uh, how do you feel when you're hungry? Do you get a headache? That's a simple, simple, um, if you do tend to get headaches when you're hungry, well, that means that, um, your brain is not getting enough energy from your body fat. And, um, that's really actually a strain on your brain. And some people who get migraine headaches frequently, it's because they're, they're getting, they're also getting like, we don't exactly know the cause and effect, but you see little tiny marks on their brain and on an MRI as if they've had extremely small strokes. And, you know, my thinking is that this is happening because they're, these areas of the brain are simply dying because they're not getting the energy that they need. 
Whoa, I've never I've never heard either of those things. I, I, I didn't I didn't realize the toxic fat and the and the temperature. I've never heard either of those. That's really interesting. Is that um, what else? What else do I need to know? What other sorts of like, <laughs> like what other things are there like that that can tell us that can tell us more about ourselves? I, I want to give you an analogy before I answer that question. It, it's kind of like you know, hopefully people understand the concept behind, you know, why we talk about climate change these days, right? It has to do with carbon dioxide building up in the atmosphere. I think everybody understands that that's happening really now. The only controversy is whether it's man-made or something that's just a natural cycle. But the fact is carbon dioxide is building up in the atmosphere and changing our climate radically, radically, very rapidly. And all kinds of weird things are happening because of that. Well, the analogy is that a hundred years ago, we started changing the kinds of fats that we were putting into our body fat because we started eating all these seed oils, vegetable oils with highly polyunsaturated fatty acids in them. And so a hundred years ago, we had about 2% of our body fat had polyunsaturated fatty acids. Now it's 10 to 15 times that much. Whoa. So just like the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere is changing the climate, um, the polyunsaturated fatty acid in our body fat is changing our metabolism. And so you don't exactly know what's going to happen for who, right? Like you don't know whether or not you're going to have a hurricane or a tsunami, or you're going to have, um, you know, a freak snowstorm in May because of it, who knows, but something bad's going to happen. So that's what this quiz tries to capture is what's going on in your body. Um, so, so that, um, you can get it the best handle from what I know. Right. So I'm, I'm just one doctor has been looking at this, so, but this is, this is over thousands of patients that I've kind of compiled, um, the, the fat burn fact, the questions that are in the fat burn factor questionnaire. That is so, so cool. That's so cool. <laughs> and the purpose of it is it, it, so it, yes, it is cool. So not only does it tell you the most important thing you need to know about your metabolism, which is how well can you burn your body fat? What you need to do then in order to fix it is going to be different depending on what your fat burn factor is at the time you test it, if that makes sense. So like, like I, we started out this conversation, you actually asked me and I, I didn't quite get around to answering the question of, but like how, how I customize my advice for people, you know, cause we all know that not everybody can eat the same way. Well, the way I see it, the number one most important thing that differentiates us is how well are we able to access the energy in our body fat? Because if we're very poor at it, then we're not necessarily ready to jump right into a keto diet. We're not necessarily ready to start intermittent fasting. And there's, there's, stuff you can do that you need to do actually to, um, to get ready because, um, those are fantastic tools that will help you ultimately reach your ideal body weight and certainly will help you obtain, um, optimal health. But even though I, I advocate for a keto diet, I don't think that everybody needs to be keto all the time to get the benefits of keto. You just need to burn your body fat. Hmm. So does that, so does that suggest that that some sort of mix of keto sometimes, um, fasting sometimes, eat when you're hungry is like is this is the solution? Like, does it include sort of like um, protocols for 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 customization? 
Exactly. So yes, it is some sort of mix. And I, and I help you assess what is the best mix for you at any point in time, depending on how well you are burning your body fat. Okay. Okay. Oh, that's so cool. So what, what, what else would we be surprised in to read from the fat burn fix? What, what were there sort of, cause it's clear to, to me and everyone that's listening that you're, that you're obviously your research is really good and you've, you've written great books and worked with the Lakers and, and been, you know, sort of a master of, of this, of this topic for a long time. This is based on your own tracking of your, of your clients. Right. And, and so that means that you, you can tell us that, Hey, if you're like this, you should do this. If you're like that, you should do this. You should like that. I mean, what else can we, what else can we learn or expect to read from the fat burn fix that can be useful for, for people? Yeah, so definitely um, you'll learn like what kind of carbohydrates are best, right? How, you'll learn to figure out how, how much carbohydrate you really need and is there any benefit to eliminating them altogether. I also help you understand really the how to help your um, – how, how to get the good kinds of fats. I, I talk about the fats that our bodies really want as um, – clean burning fats because that's really what they are like the um the you'll learn how exactly these polyunsaturated fatty acids prevent your body from getting energy um while those are the fuel that you know your cells are being supplied with your cells cannot literally cannot get energy efficiently if at all from polyunsaturated fatty acids which are like you know when we talk about omega-3 and omega-6 um, a lot of people don't realize that uh, even though we need both of those, omega-3 and omega-6, and even though our diets tend to be relatively deficient in omega-3 compared to omega-6, you don't get any benefit from supplementing with omega-3 if you've got so much poof on your body fat that it's just going to deteriorate. You can't use those omega-3s for energy. They actually shut down your mitochondria. Whoa. So there's a lot that we haven't been paying attention to in terms of um, what these PUFAs do to um, to our metabolisms. And, and I actually uh, ha find that there's, and I talk about there's four aspects of our metabolism. Um, I break down our metabolism into four systems. And one of them is the mitochondria. And then uh, another one is the body fat itself. And another one is your appetite. So there's just so much research out there that suggests how these PUFAs have led to so many problems that we're blaming on other things. Um, but it really just appears to be, to me, it just appears to be mostly these PUFAs because that's the biggest change. And and it, it, when you look at the science, it just clearly shows that we can't survive on these things the way that we're trying to. And that's why people are dying of, of um, complications of diabetes after they've been trying to survive on vegetable oils for, you know, 30, 40, 50 years, depending on how their genetics and their metabolism and how they can deal with all this PUFA and what they exactly is the proportion of it that they've been eating. Wow. Whoa. What, what, what's, what's another villain besides the PUFA? Sugar. Um, Sugar. Because it's addicting, like sweet stuff. Yeah, of course, right? What's what's maybe another one that we that we ha hadn't maybe thought of or that that would maybe be surprising? Well, for some people, oatmeal, the idea that oatmeal and fruit oatmeal. are Oatmeal. Oh my yeah. god. 
oatmeal, oatmeal. Oh, it, it, it was a, it, well, I had an, uh, a, sorry to get so excited about oat, the word <laughs> oatmeal, but in my house, it, we had this like epiphany moment uh, that the oatmeal that my son was eating every single morning from age two. Oh man, I feel guilty about it. Honestly, just talking about it. Um, from age two until like age three and a half. Um, nah, maybe not that long, but but he was eating oatmeal every single morning, and uh, it wasn't until um, it wasn't until I learned about the harms of oatmeal and what how how they zap your body and are terrible for your teeth that we just were like we had to full stop like end end the oatmeal craze and now we haven't had it in my house for for a couple of years tell tell us about tell us about why oatmeal is yucky <laughs> so a lot of folks just assume it's healthy because of the marketing being so successful over you know 50 years where we have the word mother built right into one of the brands like mother's oats you know right. <laughs> um but oatmeal is actually a highly processed product. You start with oats, and I think the whole process from start to finish with, um, you know, like microwavable stuff, oats and the, the quick cooking stuff takes three days of um, baking and pressurizing. And you can guarantee that any nutrition, um, any kind of vitamins are going to be squashed out and completely mangled. Um, so really by the end, it's just almost completely empty calories that uh, are starch and starch breaks down into sugar in your digestive system. So we'll do nothing but raise your blood sugar. Yeah. Oh man, that's, that, that was a tough one. And, and then of course <laughs> that, that was, a, that was a tough one in my house. Um, again, these, these sorts of, these sorts of levels of awareness about food now for me are just second nature. But when I talk to my friends and family about this stuff, it, uh, it's, it's shocking to them, uh, case in point, and they don't. My my lovely um, my lovely sister in law does not listen to this podcast, so I'll I will give her as an example. Um, we were having uh, we were having dinner at my house, and um, my nephews my 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 nephews were over, so my kids who are six and three were playing with their cousins, and they're having a great time. And uh, it was you know it was kind of getting close to bedtime. It was like seven o'clock. And my daughter, who's three, went to the fridge and pulled out like a giant handful of grapes and started to walk around the house eating grapes. And I said, honey, you got to put those grapes back. You can have you can have one or two, but you can't have 11 like you have in, in your hands right now. And my sister-in-law goes, it's fruit. And I go, eh. yeah and she goes you're telling your kid that she can't eat fruit like it's in the fridge available to her and you're telling her she can't eat it and i go well it's a little bit more complicated than it's fruit like it's they're just little balls of sugar like they're they're frankenstein (laughs) um grapes that have been you know grown in a way to be super super sweet and super low caloric value and um yes it's fruit but no right before bed 11 grapes is not a good idea and she's like i she's and she just sort of shook her head she's like man you're you're on some of the weirdest stuff i really don't like yeah i mean it was lovingly but (sighs) it it was it was really it highlighted a moment for me that like still like this is not common awareness for people please tell me i'm not crazy 
definitely, it's not. People assume that fruit is natural, and they we often talk about fruit and vegetables as if they're like identical twins nutritionally, but they're totally not. Um, fruit has been bred to be extremely high in sugar, and it is. And and you are you don't let people get away with it that when they say things like, and I'm sure. This this may not exactly be what happened, but the way you told the story, you said you're not letting her have any fruit. That's not true, and don't let people get away with that because you have it in your fridge. You just want her to control it. You said she could have one or two, and that's the that is the problem. Is that we sugar is hard to control, right? So if you get started, well, it's very hard to stop, but you have to if you want to limit your sugar intake. So. So, but, but don't let people like get on their high horse and, you know, <laughs> and put words in your mouth. Cause you didn't actually, pro is that really how the conversation went? Like she, she really literally tried to make it that you don't want your child having any fruit. Yeah, she, yeah, exactly. She, she helped herself to some fruit from the fridge that we left out for her to have anytime she wanted. And, and. And so she helped herself, but she, yeah, she grabbed like 11 grapes. And and if she wanted one or two at seven o'clock at night, it would have been okay. And I wouldn't, and I wouldn't have said anything, but she said, you're not get you're not letting your kid basically eat as much, eat as much fructose as they want is basically what she was <laughs> right. saying. Right. Yeah. Well, there's very little other nutrition in fruit, right? So, I mean, there's very little nutrition. I mean, the, other than the calories coming from, um, it's all coming from sugar, the calories, and because and, there's no protein, there's no fat in there, um, and the nutrition is limited because we've bred our grapes so that they are just these plump vehicles of sugar. Like you know, like you know, when when even wine grapes are more nutritious than table grapes, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> right. Because they're 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 less sugary. They're not about the sugar. They're about all the other things that add complexity to wine and the final product once it's fermented. But um, but yeah. So um, so just you know, it, it's very easy to fall into other people's beliefs traps of their belief systems. But but protect yours, right? And if oh, yeah. somebody accuses you of something that isn't true, don't let them. Yeah. Well. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, I, 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 not I I'm not, I'm not talking to you I, I, alone only, right? I'm talking yeah. to everybody else out there. Yeah. Who, this has happened to everybody who goes down this path and then people see their children doing something and then they try to make something extreme out of what you're doing yes. when what you're doing is not extreme. Yes. That is, that is really, really important advice for people to hear that, that when, when you are informed and you're you're eating in a way that you, that agrees with you that makes you feel good just because some it's weird to someone else or just because you know just because they want to make it make you feel strange for skipping breakfast and <laughs> and remind you that breakfast is the most important meal of the day and try to make you feel bad because like you're skipping breakfast just tell, just let them mind their own business and do what you know feels right and work what works for you. Exactly. But if they say something that's an extreme version of what you're doing, just don't let them get away with it. Yeah. People tell me that all the time. Like when actually when I was working for the Lakers and you know, what we did was we, we pulled back on the amount of candy and soda and people were saying, 
they're living on bacon and butter and, <laughs> you know, and, and of course they can get away with that on their own websites and in their own, uh, you know, blogs. But when people interviewed me, I, I couldn't let them get away with that because that's not what was happening. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, people, people can be so silly. <laughs> <laughs> people, oh, you, oh, people, people can be so silly. Um, before we, before I ask the last question, which is a fill in the blank question, where can people um, find you, learn more about you, buy the book, and how can they, where can they take the test? So fatburnfix.com is the best landing place for getting started with me. It will link to my other webpage, which is drkate.com. Um, but it will also be the place to go when you want to figure out what your fat burn factor is and learn more about the book, which hopefully you'll just be salivating over the prospect of buying. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> And now the fill in the blank question, and this can be based on anything that you have learned, any sorts of wisdom. It doesn't necessarily have to be about burning fat. It can be about just about anything that you want and elaborate as much as you'd like. If you would please fill in the blank. Everyone would benefit from knowing. To listen to their chef instead of their nutritionist. Because chefs were the original nutritionists. It was people who knew how to make whatever the hunter caught and whatever the gatherer brought home taste good uh, that defined the human diet. And the, even today, the chefs, even in spite of all the mythology out there around fats, the best chefs have never touched never let their customers touch canola oil or soy oil or any of these other processed oils. They use olive oil. They use a blend. So the chefs are the people who have been looking out for our health. And if you want to identify a good chef, it's a chef that doesn't use canola, soy, blended olive oil, or any of the other vegetable oils that I define in the Fat Burn Fix and on my website. Wonderful. Excellent. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Uh, Dr. Kate Shanahan, thank you so much for joining me today on the Optimal Performance Podcast. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure.